Ariel. Here at the Comedy Bar, where there's improv and comedy every goddamn night, whether you want it or not, and shit. Uh, across the street from the chicken place and down the street from the other chicken place. There's so many chicken places, you're spoiled for chicken here. There's a, a poulet obsession going on here in Ontario. Uh, or as we would say in Quebec, poulet. We would just say chickens here and shit like that. Uh, it's, it's excellent to be back here in, in Toronto again. I don't think I... I've been, but I was in. I've been in Canada this year. Obviously, I was in uh, Montreal and uh, uh, Calgary, and uh, but we haven't been in um, Toronto since uh, last. Uh, I think it was September was the last time we did it. Was it? What? Wow! Just any autumnal month now. People are just people are just bidding and shit. I say November. I see your September, and I take you to the winter. No, I was staying at the Chelsea Harbor place because there was a hot dog stand out front. And I said to the guy, because I come home late after the gig, I get home at like 2 in the morning, and the guy's still out there with the hot dogs. And I go, can you handle this? Like, it's not too hectic down here, you know, selling hot dogs in the middle of the night. He goes, this isn't Mogadishu. Uh, I'm like, fair enough. It's Toronto. What could happen, right? You know? You're down near the harbor, you know, the statue of uh, Jack Layton. I mean, really, nothing, it wasn't, nothing was shaken, really. Uh, so he was right. Uh, maybe I overestimated the roughness of uh, the waterfront here in Toronto. Uh, uh, that there was a hot dog guy at four in the morning uh, in the middle of the street. And I thought, wow, I just upped his time, by the way, before it was two. Now it's four. Pretty soon it'll be dawn. And I was coked up and partying with the Leafs at that point, And we were... Uh, Rob Ford and I were just, you know, rolling after dark. I love that he calls his brother Jones. Does anyone see the double meaning in that? Got to have a Jones for this, a Jones for that. If there was ever a mayor with a Jones, it's fucking Rob Ford. Uh, just to hip everybody and orient them out there in Proopcast land, uh, this is an awesome time to uh, sink one down or do whatever it is you're going to do, grind something up in a pestle and mortar, as I've suggested before on the show, uh, and just whatever it takes to get you through this goddamn day. And uh, welcome once again to the Proopcast. Uh, if you're listening outside of Canada, uh, you know that Rob Ford is North America's most exciting mayor. Uh, <laughs> He's a, he's a behemoth of a man. How can I describe him? He's uh, large. He's two mares. And uh, he's several mares. He's the mayor of Hamilton as well, as far as I know. Uh, and uh, he's had so many exciting antics over the last couple of years. I, I'm, I'm just glad to see no one's OD'd on the humor yet. Uh, because he's really like a pinata. You just break him open and, and shit just falls out. Uh, and keeps giving and makes Christmas better. Uh, now, recently, he's been to rehab, which I think is fantastic. This was after a year ago when he was caught... Uh, and, and I even read, I was reading the Globe and Mail today because I'm a fascist. And um, it was, they gave me one on the plane. Uh, they, and it said, uh, he purportedly was in a video, he was in a video purportedly smoking crack. No, he was smoking crack in a video. Somehow he purported that it was something else that he was doing. When you're lighting up a fucking glass bowl and going, and you're sweating from your eyeballs, that's crack. That's crack. That's how you know. As my friend Warren Thomas would have said, it's the mellow high. Look for the sweating dog on the label. And uh, somehow his heart has powered on. He's like Dick Cheney, man. Like, there's nothing that'll kill this fucker. You're going to have to put a silver bullet through his ass one day in order to take him down, man. Uh, you could fire a, a, a capsule of Oxycontin at 100 meters and it would, just, it would glance off of him. You know what I mean? He would just absorb it into the folds of his skin like the Baron Harkonnen or whatever. And dude, he just, he just comes floating into Toronto, you know, my kingdom and whatnot. And it's just uh, it's astounding. Uh, 
Uh, this week, of course, the revelation he's out of rehab. He already danced again on the floor of the city council in Toronto. Uh, they brought in a singer, who, and, and, and he insisted everyone get up and dance, and Rob got up and danced. God damn it. He's light on his feet, as they say. And then he gave a tearful, uh, a tearful uh, sort of uh, maybe it was his last council meeting kind of speech to the council where his eyes walled up and shit and that's when he called his brother Jones he's like Jones because evidently his brother uh, Doug who is in charge of burning books for the Ontario area <laughs> he's in charge of anti-intellectualism for everything above the 54th parallel uh, is going to uh, 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 rescind his seat uh, and uh, I guess his nephew's going to run uh, who's, uh, I, I don't know if he's a Ford as well uh, his name's Mike Ford. Jesus Christ, there's more Fords than the people who shot fucking Jesse James in this family, man. How many fucking Fords are, can you have? Holy shit. Uh, wow. So, yeah, he's going to run, evidently. And, uh, and then it's become uh, evident that he uh, was, when he was coaching a little junior league uh, football team here, Rob Ford, the mayor, that is, uh, had showed up loaded to the games and uh, had made, and this is the item that I'd read in three different newspapers today, made the players roll in, in goose scat. Shit happens. Shit happens. Thank you. Thank you for that marginally hilarious thing that you just said. I, yes, goose shit happens, evidently. I just love calling it goose scat because uh, it gives it that sort of awesome jazz element that I really want. Hey, roll in that shit, won't you? Honk, 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 honk. Uh, so he's uh, perpetually uh, he's a, you know what he is he's dickhead emeritus you know what I mean like there, there's no stopping his dickheadedness it's just an infernal force it's like a juggernaut that just rolls through town and, uh, and he's gonna run for mayor again and, and uh, what do you have a Tory running against him who's running against him John Tory. Uh, are we is he labor Olivia Chow is child's labor he, he's child's labor <laughs> There are children working ceaselessly as it has campaign headquarters, licking envelopes and putting toonies in a jar and shit. I'm sorry, if we all talk at once, it's not my show. Yes, darling, what was he going to say? Olivia Chow would be equal to a Labour Party candidate. I see, so there's no one really Labour running against Rob Ford here. Wow, what a town. Well done, Toronto. Last thing you'd want is an open-minded, free-thinking mayor. Uh, stay with the coked-up vodka guy. I think it's, it, it keeps you in the papers. Uh, people in England know who you are and shit. There was people in America who'd never heard of Canada before who know the fuck who Rob is. I think it's a very exciting development. Uh, I flew in on Air Canada today. I came from New York City, and I flew out of LaGuardia. And uh, what an exciting flight it is on Air Canada every time. Um, we were delayed an hour, and we sat on the tarmac for an hour, and the pilot kept coming on and going, oh, hey, everybody. Uh, like... Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of backup here and, uh, and I think it's about the weather and I looked out the window and it was fucking bright sun <laughs> and looked at my phone in Toronto bright sun and 21 degrees that's centigrade for our American friends 70 and uh, I was like what fucking weather uh, so we suffered an hour and then we were an hour late getting in and when we landed the pilot went uh, I'm sorry about the short delay I was like wow how do you measure time bro Hame? An hour is short to you, is it? I would have said seven minutes is a short delay. You know what I mean? Anything up to 20, really, that's kind of a short delay. Anything at an hour, that's a delay. That's a delay. You're going to miss your connection. You have to call people. Your dog's probably dead. You know what I mean? No one's fed it. It's been an hour. Uh, 
But that's Canada, and that's Canada time. Every time I come here, I always forget when you go to a restaurant, you have to have that you know feeling like later, you know, when you're waiting for your meal, that you're going to get a postcard from your weight person, and like, oh, I'm having a great time, and I'm in Bermuda, and you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe the food will come one day, and shit. No one. It seems like there's just nothing but time here in Canada. You you're rich in two things: snow and uh, and an endless expanse of land that no one lives on, and uh, lots of dinosaurs uh, that are under the ground. Yeah, and uh, time. Which evidently has no fucking meaning here whatsoever. <laughs> never been on an Air Canada flight that took off on time. Never been in a security line that moves faster than a fucking food line in Russia in the 80s. I mean, you get in a fucking security line here at the airport to cure, clear, or to cure customs. I'd like to cure customs. If only customs could be cured, uh, what a great thing it would be. Uh, the grumpiest Americans in the world work at uh, a customs on this side, and they all have to live in Canada, I presume, because I can't obviously drive home every night or whatever. Although from here, they probably probably could uh and, uh, and so you're in this epic line that just takes forever. And then when you get there, they make you show you. How many times do you show your boarding pass here in Canada? Like 18, 25 fucking times. I was in Toronto one time leaving and I showed it six times. The seventh time I said to the guy, I've showed my uh, I've showed my boarding pass six times. And he goes, we're just trying to be thorough, sir. I'm like, fine. So I go to the counter uh, because I wanted to do something with my seat. And a guy pitches up next to me and goes, look, I got all the way through security. This isn't even my boarding pass. <laughs> And I was like, about that thorough thing. Is that like a short delay in Canada? You know, there's thorough and then there's what the fuck ever. Which is the opposite of thorough, really. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, it was, you know, it was fun. Air Canada has a classic movie channel and for that I love them. Whatever their faults are and however sometimes the planes smell like a fucking locker room. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and the jazz service can be a little wonky. And also, when you fly one of those Dash 8s or a fucking prop plane over the mountains in Kelowna, that is fucking excitement in Canada. When it bounces over the fucking mountain and the guy's like, don't worry, it's, oh, oh fuck, wait a minute. And you're like, okay. <laughs> well, when I said worry, I meant like a short delay kind of thoroughness. Don't worry in thoroughness. Uh, uh, they have a classic movie channel and uh, they have the Ipcris file on which is an awesome Michael Caine movie from the 60s and uh, has a couple great scenes with Michael Caine Michael Caine wears the stunning black glasses right I won't blow the whole plot of the Ipcris file but let's say it came out during the James Bond era it was directed by a Canadian as a matter of fact and uh, uh, it was uh, the anti-James Bond sort of like in like Flint right so instead of having all these groovy gadgets and shit like that he's in the English Secret Service but it's the most dreary drab thing in the world and one guy says to him as a completely humorless functionary asshole uh, and I'm, I'm shifting you to his division. He doesn't have my sense of humor. And Michael Caine goes, yes, I shall miss that, sir. <laughs> Ten minutes later in the movie, the guy whose unit he's been shifted to goes, you know, I don't have his sense of humor. And he goes, yes, I miss that, sir. <laughs> he also gets caught in a doorway with a girl, and him and the girl can't get by each other. And then finally she goes by and he goes, thank you for a lovely evening. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking good shit, that. Uh, I also watched a WKRP in Cincinnati, which uh, they were showing on the... Yeah, fuck yeah. I don't know if anybody remembers that show. The original one, not the, not the redone one, the 70s one that had uh, Lonnie Anderson and uh, the immortal Gary Sandy. Uh, exactly. And uh, it, it, was really, it was really funny still. It, I mean, it, it's slower than a sitcom now. And the lack of uh, Fellatio jokes really makes the 70s outstanding. You watch a TV show now, and there, I was watching, what's the one with Alice and Jenny and um, uh, Mom, is it? I, I watched it for three minutes by accident. I was flipping around, and I stopped, and I thought, I'll watch this. What's the name of that young actress who's in it? Anna Faris. 
Anna Ferris. So uh, Anna Ferris and, uh, and Allison Janney. And by the way, I met Allison Janney. She's like 6'3". She's fucking tall, baby. Uh, well, with heels. But I mean, she's tall. And, uh, and very funny. But I watched it for three minutes, and there were like 73 oral sex references. And I was like, really? That's all we've got? How about humor's good, too? <laughs> And frankly, uh, if it's a, a show about women and a mother and a daughter, really, why are there that many oral sex jokes? Oh, because a bunch of guys wrote it. Um, whatever. That's it. I, I hate any oral... I hate blowjob scenes in movies. I just don't get them at all. I never find them amusing. I don't think they're funny. I don't think they're good. They put them in movies all the goddamn time, and they've never made me laugh. I don't know if I've told this story before, but if I have, fuck it, I'm telling it again. Years ago, we were shooting Who's Line in New York City, and Sandy Toxic was on the show, who's a wonderful comedian and uh, a marvelous author, and she's quite a small uh, person. She uh, always described herself as the dwarf from Don't Look Now, and um, if anyone ever saw that movie starring ace Canadian actor Donald Sutherland, uh, it's a uh, Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland. I'm going to keep indicating how tall she is, by the way. <laughs> For those of you on podcast land, don't worry. Something visually stunning is happening right now. Uh, Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland, it's a kind of a thriller. And there's a dwarf that chases them around Venice through the whole movie. Uh, I think it's Nicholas Rogue. Is it Nicholas Rogue? It's Nicholas Rogue. And, uh, yeah... Uh, anyway, Sandy Toxvig, uh, who goes by the name the, uh, her nickname, the Toxic Dane, um, uh, and I were doing a, a, the news report or one of the fucking hilarious games on Who's Line, and I said, uh, "Let's start with me going down on you, and let the camera find my head between your legs, and then go good evening and welcome, and then go oh, 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 like, and then we'll do that joke, right?" It's the opposite of the blowjob joke, which is never fucking funny, but it's funny because it's not a blowjob, right? So I get down between her legs, right? And they go, action, and they start the fucking shot, and I pop up between her legs, and she goes, like that, and they go, cut! We can't do that! And I'm like, really? I've snogged Colin Mockery on TV. I've had Ryan Stiles inside me on television. I've had Wayne Brady's chocolate buns all over my face like a fucking dessert. You know what I'm saying? We are the gayest show in the history of gay. When we do the dating game, I'm always asking them out on a date, and I'm not a girl. So I thought that was funny, that they were, like, objected to a, a Coniglius joke at that point. But there you are. Uh, such is Hollywood and such is life, as Ned Kelly said when they put the noose around his neck. I've received so many lovely gifts here. Uh, but I wanted to uh, mention something. As uh, The last time I played here, I was playing in a place called The Underground, which is over on um, Queen Street. And... Uh, uh, it's a dope uh, place. They, they don't sell marijuana. They sell edibles, but you can bring marijuana in and smoke it. So every single table in the room, all I could see, were, as I've described on the show, was cherries going up and down the whole night, right? And I maybe had half a joint. And I have a pretty high tolerance, just slightly lower than Cheech and, uh, and a little bit to the left of Snoop. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go, at, generally, at any given time. And there's very little way you can get over on me. Because people always go, man, you only need one hit of this. And I'm like, Really? You only need one hit of this because that's all you want to fucking share, Broham. I understand. I think you'll find I need a fucking epic blunt made out of a moose cock in order to get my fucking swerve on. And swerves have to get, they don't get themselves on, as, as Heath Ledger said before he passed. You've got to get your swerve on. Uh, so you, uh, I was playing at the underground and we were doing the podcast and the whole room's like you're hot boxing weed for like an hour and a half and at one point I'd forgotten completely where I was and what I was talking about I lost the thread of everything I finished the show and people give me all these lovely things and I go back to my crib I get a hot dog from the hot dog guy that's when he said the Mogadishu thing then 
if I got in my hotel. Have I told this story before on the show? I, I get to my hotel, and it's, a t- it's an IT convention, right? So everyone's wearing a lanyard and a name tag, and they all have powder blue shirts on and pants that are pulled up too high, and there's lots of acceptable Asians and guys with glasses, right? And... <laughs> Uh, the whole place is swarming with IT people who, in the morning, the cough, the Starbucks was a clusterfuck of infinite proportions. I don't, there's something that IT people fucking, it's like Starbucks is their heroin, right? So, and, uh, uh, but I, it was late at night, I get in, and uh, there's a million of them standing in the lobby conversing and shit, you know, like, oh, uh, I did something insignificant and boring. Me too! Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I thought of this uh, uh, of a fractal paradigm that would could become a thing in a uh, you know design of a thing that would be like uh, uh, on your computer. Oh well, I designed an app that allows me to communicate with other people who have no interests outside of this narrow fucking realm. <laughs> and all I could think of when I got in the lift, the elevator, was uh, what did I fucking smell like? <laughs> I smelled like Doug Benson's carry-on, man. Like, I just fucking got... I didn't even know. I had no sense of smell. I get to my room. I'm high as the dickens. But I don't mean high like high like when you're laughing and, you know, that fucking your friend and, you know, you're, and they're like, oh, my God! And they're crying and they're laughing and you're like, this is totally inappropriate with my grandma's funeral. You know, that, that, not, that, not that kind of high. Uh, not when you're at the Blue Jays game and you're like, oh, my God, they've got birds on their uniform. Not that high. Like a profound highness, like the Buddha, right? Like I sat on the edge of my bed and went like, wow. And all I could hear was the music of the spheres, you know, just. I better call Jennifer, right? So I get on my phone and I call my wife, right? And nobody answers. And I'm like, hi, the show's over. I love you. And I hang up. Get up the next morning, right? And I call my wife and she goes, what the fuck happened? You didn't call me last night. I go, yeah, I did. She goes, what fucking number did you call? I look at my phone. I don't know. I called someone and told them I love them. Wasn't my house. Wasn't my wife. Just fucking called a fucking number. What? Why aren't you home? Where are you? Love you. Then when you like go to the closet and you know you all you have to do is take your clothes off and put them on a hanger, but you look at the hangers for a really long time because it's so challenging at that point. And you're like, if I take my pants off first, I can hang them up. But if I take my coat off first, then my pants have to be, I have to take the coat off the hanger to put the pants on the hanger. <laughs> go to bed in my suit why wasn't my wife home twinkly lights in the harbor tonight that hot dog was huge what are you doing in my room I'm sorry IT guy I just followed you in it seemed like the right thing to do you got off on the same floor as me you had a bigger room I liked it It was October because the baseball playoffs were on. I watched Boston play. It was Waka pitched. Waka pitched. So it was St. Louis? It was St. Louis. I watched St. Louis play. So it was was October. It wasn't November for those of you who bidded on November. But thank you. (laughs) 
I've received so many lovely gifts here. We're going to start the show. We really ought to. Uh, we have received so many lovely gifts here tonight from so many lovely people. Uh, we've, we've, of course, received the gift of, uh, of Dank, and those people shall remain blameless. Uh, it's the last thing I'm going to do is say people's names on the interweb. So they'll be immortalized forever as the people. Because someone tweeted me today and was like, I'm an American Toronto, man. Where do I get some weed up here? And I'm like, dude, you're creating a situation is what you're doing, man. Meet me behind the thing, okay? What am I supposed to tweet you? Meet me at Yonge Street, right near the McDonald's. I'll be wearing a Greenfeld hat and I go by the name of Chano. I will reach into my left sock. At that moment, have 40 fucking loonies in your pocket. <laughs> Hand them to me one by one. Uh, yeah, I'm afraid you're on your own. If you can't find weed in Canada, wow. <laughs> wow. As Curtis Mayfield said, if you want to be a junkie, wow. Uh, and Toronto's a good place to be a junkie, too, evidently. Uh, well, hey, you know what, uh, uh, Daryl? We, we play that first song on the pre-show. I put a new pre-show together. I don't know if people dug it. I, it doesn't have as much funk as the old one. It, there's a little more dance. No, not that one. That one, that one, that one, that one. The, the pre-show. The pre-show, Daryl. Pre-show. That's the iPod. This, this one's Curtis Mayfield, too. This one's so bad, right? The, that, how about that part? Fuck yeah. And then... This, I, I have to warn everybody, there's N-bombs in this song. Don't anyone freak out. It's like being at a Rob Ford meeting. This is what the 70s were like, by the way. I was 11 when this came out, and I bought the album. Have some coke, have some weed. You know, the music for 11-year-olds now doesn't quite... Justin Bieber never says, like, have some Molly, have some Meow Meow. But he really should. But he would never be this funky, either. You can crank that up a little bit. You really can't have enough Curtis Mayfield in your life. Secret stash, heavy bread. Baddest kittens in the bed. Uh, I received a gift uh, from... Who gave me the uh, Cedar Gaston? Where are you? Remember we talked before? Tell me your name again. Damien. Damien, thank you. Damien. Uh, aside from being the Antichrist in the Omen movies, Damien... <laughs> as Gregory Peck says in the movie, he's just a boy. <laughs> Gregory Peck does not add to the scariness of that movie, quite frankly. I adore Gregory Peck, but in a satanic thriller? Okay. All right. 
I mean, he had a sense of humor. That's the thing I love about Gregory Peck. His favorite role of all the roles he did was, you know, Atticus Finch, obviously, is a lovely role. And, and he's in so many other great pictures, 12 O'Clock High and whatnot. But he, uh, sh- uh, um, uh, Roman Holiday with Audrey Hepburn. But his favorite role was the, the Nazi in Boys from Brazil. He, he really couldn't wait to fucking play that one. And he's like, Heil Hitler. <laughs> And then he took The Omen, and he was a huge star at that point. I think I was 13 or 14 when I saw it in the movie theater. And, uh, uh, but you think, really? Because Gregory Peck doesn't ever go like, shit, what's going on? Like that, it's not in him to do that. Even Harrison Ford could go, what the hell is this? Gregory Peck would be like, I'm scared of the devil. <laughs> I'm afraid that Satan is uh, inside my... Oh, I'm sorry. Have I screwed that line up? So you remember the scene where the the nanny jumps out the window, right? And uh, uh, and I'm presuming that you do. There's a lot of kids listening in their blanket fort right now. (laughs) Their parents are in the other room and are not excited that they had an N-bomb and some coke and some weed already in their evening. And uh, uh, they don't know what The Omen is. The Omen was a, a thriller from 73. This is during the Exorcist era, or 74, whenever the fuck it was. And uh, a young boy named Damien is, uh, uh, is possessed by the devil and whatnot. In fact, he is the devil. He's the Antichrist. And they discover it through going, uh, Leo McKern is in Israel. I can't go into the whole goddamn plot. In any case, <laughs> he, he's so evil in a convulsive force that his nanny jumps out the window at this giant party and kills herself. And I was at a wedding years ago in Los Angeles with my wife. And a woman, uh, we were at a table with a couple movie producers and all these Hollywood types and shit. And uh, uh, a, a woman was very drunk at the wedding and started singing behind a pillar. Like, she was hidden. It wasn't even singing time. Like, we were at an open lawn, you know, afternoon, Sunday afternoon wedding. People are drinking and shit like that. We're all chatting and whatnot. And all of a sudden, you hear, from out of nowhere, and I'm going to... Oh, I don't know if the mic cord's long enough. It's not. But pr- pretend you can't see me at all. And that you're, you're, you're having a drink on a lawn on a Sunday afternoon, and you hear, Some say love is like... A- what? Someone's singing The Rose? And they sang the whole fucking song, right? Just drunk in a corner until everyone kind of, what the fuck? And then everyone sort of, oh, she's over there drunk. Like she just got up in the middle of the wedding, grabbed the fucking mic and sang the rose. And I went, Damien, it's all for you. And the movie producer at my table spit his fucking drink up. His wife was like, what? He was like, oh my God. for you, Damien. <laughs> you know. Anyway, Damien, thank you very much for this. This, my friends, is a commemorative uh, uh, lanyard featuring Cito Gaston, uh, who is a great note here, one in Toronto. He managed your last two world championship teams back-to-back, 92-93. Those are the Ricky Henderson, Dave Winfield, uh, uh, Joe Carter teams with uh, David Wells and uh, uh, Cy and uh, what they called him, Cy Steeb, uh, Jimmy Key, uh, that that superb uh, uh, assortment of fellows that you had in those days. And also, as uh, Damien pointed out to me, Dusty Baker never did it. Cito Gaston is the first African-American manager to win the World Series. And the only, I believe, at this point... uh, 
let's just go through his uh, extensive curriculum vitae here. Hitting coach manager. He also played for ages. I'm old, and I remember when he played. Uh, although he was an AL player, was he? No. Braves. Braves. I was going to say Braves. I did see him play. He played on the Braves. Quite a tall fellow and an outstanding manager. Of course, he had the horses, didn't he? Um, you had good, you had good man, uh, upper uh, echelon management in this. I don't know what the fuck I've done. I hate lanyards. God damn it. <laughs> it worked before. Uh, in any case, the only quibble I have with the 92-93 Jays is your bizarre 19, uh, early 80s fucking Bank of America fucking numerals that you had on your uniforms. Those weird, like, rollerball numerals or whatever. <laughs> From Houston, the energy city. It's the Houston team with their star player, Jonathan E. Uh, 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 Tokyo, Tokyo. Um, career highlights. Baseball man of the year in Canada, 89. AL division champs, 89, 91, 90. Ooh, 89. That was a toughie. Eh? Fucking, uh, what was that? That was the one you guys were up by three, was it? Up by two? Oh, that was 85. Oh, that was Bobby Cox. You're right. God damn it, you guys are good. <laughs> Which year did you play Detroit? Uh, that was 87, wasn't it? When uh, Spark- That was like Sparky's last team. I guess not, because it's not written here, so fuck me. 92-93 uh, uh, AL Series, 92-93 uh, Champions Sportsman of the Year, All-Star Game Manager. And then this award is one of my favorites, the 1999 Blue Jays Level of Excellence. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Jays level of excellence. <laughs> David Wells is eating a deep fried pizza in the dugout this night. Blue Jays level of excellence. There's George Bell eating chicken in the dugout. <laughs> And then the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and then the Negro League Hall of Fame Legacy Award. That's so awesome. Led the Blue Jays in games managed and leads the Blue Jays in games managed and wins. Thank you very much for this, Damien. I shall wear it proudly. And thank you very much for giving that to me. I appreciate it. Two very nice people gave me this book here by Steve Lacey called Conversations. Tell me your names again. Evan and Nicole, good. Thank you very much for that, because you're not a drummer. Uh, Thelonious Monk, who I'm a great fan of, and uh, we often quote him on the show here because he made lists, uh, as well as uh, making unbelievably magnificent jazz. Thelonious Monk um, wrote a, um, uh, a list in one of the things that, how do we dress tonight? Sharp as possible. And uh, that's been one of the bywords on the show here. This is a book by Steve Lacey called Conversations. Uh, this volume brings together interviews that appeared in a variety of magazines between 59 and 2004. Writers, critics, musicians, visual artists, philosopher, architect, the interviews indicate the evolution of Lace's extraordinary career. He began playing the soprano sax at 16 and was soon performing with Dixieland musicians. Lacey lived in Paris from 70 to 2002. Lacey played with a broad range of musicians, including Monk and Gil Evans, and led his own bands, a voracious reader and recipient of a Mark Arthur Genius Grant. Lacey was particularly known for setting to music literary texts such as the Tao Te Ching and the works of poets, including Beckett, Robert Creeley, and Taslima Nazrin, as well as collaborating with painters. Someone say stop. Stop. Oop, landed on a picture. We'll go one more. Uh, let's see here. Who's he interviewing here? Ooh, it's completely out of context. Well, it might be better. Let's just jump right in. I have no idea who he's talking to here. Uh, at the time, that was a very new method to record using overdubs, exclamation point. Oh. 
Was, was Steve Lacey that emphatic during the interview? I'll read it the way I think he said it then. At the time, that was a very new method to record using overdubs! That's how I read that. That's why I hate them. Surely, that question doesn't require an exclamation point. I had already heard a record by Bar Brian Geisen, wow, called Electronic Poetry. Now I have to see who we're talking to here. If you're talking about Brian Geisen, wowzers. Living Lacey, oh, Scratching the 70s, interviewed by Etienne Brunet. L oh, it's Lacey who she's, uh, Etienne Brunet is interviewing Lacey in this one, evidently. Am I right here? Yeah, it's yes. All it's all interviews with him. Yeah. Oh, dig. Yes, one after the next. Uh, <laughs> Or in my, my terms, chronic logically. Wow. So he had already heard a record by Brian Geisen. Now, Brian Geisen, I don't even know how to describe Brian Geisen to you, a seeker. Uh, he was friends, uh, for instance, uh, the Oregon Box is a big thing with Brian Geisen. Brian Geisen uh, wrote a book called Here to Go. Uh, is a particular favorite of my wife's. Um, he often went to Morocco and uh, participated and uh, recorded the uh, um, sacred, sacred music festivals of the Berbers up in the mountains and whatnot. Later, uh, Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones made a record up in those mountains uh, called The Pipes of Jujuka, uh, and Brian Garson was a very esoteric uh, English cat from those days. Here to go refers to his view of humanity. In other words, uh, like uh, Rust Cole says in the show True Detective, uh, it's, uh, we should do ourselves a favor and march hand in hand into oblivion. Brian Geisen's theory was, we as humanity are here to go. We are not here to stay. Uh, uh, in any case, um, he, uh, before Timothy McVeigh, uh, and I, I don't like saying uh, his name, but it, you know who he is, um, he asked for uh, um, a dream machine before he uh, was executed, and Brian, Brian Geisen was a big believer in the dream machine. A record that uses overdubs, very experimental. I was struck, uh, experimental. I was struck by the many possibilities of re-recording. We're getting esoteric tonight, huh? <laughs> so I prepared the material for my record, and I had fun using all sorts of objects. Knitting needles, ashtrays, keys, finger snapping, loose change, and also silence. <laughs> yeah, that's on a record, baby. Uh, Daniel Valsen, the sound engineer, was very sympathetic. He helped me a lot, and we had a real collaboration. I liked that record, and I was very proud of it. It's a very avant-garde record. In Cryptosphere, why did you use a recording by Ruby Braff? Wow! I like that idea a lot. It's very surprising, exclamation point. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Enough of the exclamation points. Thank you so much for this book. It is really, really lovely. When I was in New York, I went to another favorite place of my wife, Jennifer, uh, called Café Lou, uh, and, where musicians and writers uh, uh, frequent. Uh, there's a school across the street. There's also a Bitchin hotel lobby. Oh, fuck. Now I can't remember the artist's name. Oh, cock. In any case, it's on 13th if you go to New York. And um, it's called Cafe Lou, L-O-U-P. And uh, it's about the wolf and whatnot. That Willie DeVille used to hang out there. In any case, Junior Mance uh, plays there uh, every Sunday, should you be in New York. And Junior uh, was in loads of people's bands uh, and met Charlie Parker when he was like 16 or 17. I received a book when I was in San Francisco. It's called Swing to Bop. That's an oral history of jazz. And Junior's interviewed in it. And Junior's like 81. I met him this year. I went up to him and like chatted with him for a while and shit and said, are you gigging and whatnot? And he had um, a bitching trio. It was him a bass player and uh, an Asian lady on fiddle. <laughs> yeah, him on piano. So um, just to hip you to the jive. Oh. Now tell me your name again, darling. I know that we're friends and we met many times, but I want to get it right. 
Chrissy. Thank you, Chrissy. Chrissy is quite a good artist and photographer and uh, uh, graphic artist. She gave me something here. She asked me to open it on the air, as they say. Uh, David's Tea, Magic Dragon, Fruit Infusion. They say dragon fruit is so packed with good stuff. Cock. Sorry, my, my eyesight's bloody awful. It's the next big super fruit. I think Rob Ford is the next big superfruit. <laughs> Taste it for yourself in this blend with apple rose. Da, 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 da. That's so nice. Thank you so much. Oh, oh. Oh. There is tea in it, too. How thoughtful of you to put tea in there. Oh, look. That's so sweet of you. Thank you, Chrissy. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, very, very thoughtful of you. The next big superfruit. I love that we live in a world where we're so artisanal that the goji berry is fucking passe now. <laughs> and that we're on to the next big superfruit. Uh, that superfruit is so five fruits ago. We're out of the Andes and we're into, where are we dragon fruit? We're into Asia now. We're not, we're not rocking uh, the quinoa golden falcon flies down from the mountaintop thing anymore. Very, very thoughtful of you. I've planned very poorly here. Is there any... I know there's no weight people in here, but is there any way to get another vodka-flavored vodka drink so that the show may continue apace? It, Ian, are you in the room? No, Ian. Okay. Uh, I'll go grab one. Thank you, brother. Loads of ice, loads of vodka, a lemon. No soda, no water, no 7-Up, no, or whatever you drink here. Canadian Tire, pop. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be a while till we get the drink, so uh, I'm joking, of course. If you want to write us at smartestnotaspecialthing.com, uh, that's the questions. If you want to write me personally, fanmail4greg at gmail.com. I haven't been answering lately, but I do read them. Uh, let's see. We're here tonight at the Comedy Bar in Toronto. Uh, the 18th through the 20th of, of, of... Oh, no. Fuck that shit. The second uh, coming up this Tuesday, uh, the tomorrow, one, by the time you hear this, uh, we'll be at the Nerd Melt in Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood's most uh, insanely comprehensive comic book store. And where uh, the... Um, what, what do they call it? Uh, the, the, the death... The nerd ray? What's the, it's on comedy's... The Meltdown. The Meltdown with Kamal uh, and Jonah, Jonah Ray uh, and Kamal do that show there. It's a real fun venue. Uh, completely airless, but there you are. Um, we'll be there on the 2nd. And then, let's see, the 18th and through the 20th, we'll be in Raleigh, North Carolina at uh, Goodnights, which used to be Charlie Goodnights. Now it's simply Goodnights. Uh, and then uh, at the 19th of October, we'll be in Soho Theater in London for our English friends. We're also going to be in Antwerp and Stockholm. Go to my website, gregproofs.com. I have the Antwerp date, but I can't bloody remember it, and I didn't write it down tonight. We'll be in Stockholm that week as well. I'm sorry we're not going to do Tallinn. Uh, I met a girl before the show tonight named Verva. Uh, you'll have to tell your relatives it'll be next year. She said, thank you very much. I appreciate that. No, you, just leave these two, shall you? Um, that'll be all. Thanks. No, I'll just collect them up here. Um, and uh, so we'll, we'll be in Tallinn next year for our Estonian friends. We played Helsinki, which is quite close to Tallinn, and you can take the ferry over and whatnot. But uh, we will be in Antwerp, Stockholm, and London, and hopefully again next year in uh, Amsterdam and Paris. So then we'll be in Maui at the Comedy Festival. Uh, fantastically, uh, as you know, Hawaii is the landmass that's furthest from any other landmass in the world. How the Polynesians got there is completely 
uh, the most staggering. Um, people talk about Columbus, who was quite a navigator, or Magellan, or Magellan, or however you wish to pronounce him, who was also quite a navigator. Uh, but I think you have to give the Polynesians credit for peopling the whole of the South Pacific uh, in catamarans with a couple of pigs on deck and a fucking funnel mast uh, that they used the sail to gather water in. Because how can you carry that much water when you're having a fucking months-long journey? They found Hawaii in the middle of fucking nowhere and populated all eight of that archipelago. And... We're going to be in Maui, which I've never been to before. I've been to uh, Kauai and um, Hawaii, Hawaii and uh, Oahu. Uh, and uh, what's the other island? Um, yeah, Oahu. So I've been to three of the islands. No one, I don't think you're allowed to go to Nihei. Uh, Nihei is like a private ranch or something. I think you can go in the daytime and shit like that. And then um, this is all very West Coast. I know we're on the East Coast here. And you guys are like, well, we, uh, we went to Jamaica once. Uh, <laughs> And there's the Bank of Canada in the middle of, uh, yeah, there's lots of banks of Canada in Jamaica. And no McDonald's. Uh, they tried to open McDonald's there years ago, and it didn't play. Popeye's chicken. Popeye's chicken. I like, yeah, I, I don't think Jamaica has a big cattle culture. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so we'll be in Maui. I was going to say, I'm talking about Hawaii here for ages and ages, and everyone's like, Hawaii, huh? And maybe, let me, let me clear this up for you Canadian people. Um, it's like Florida, but uh, the people are different. They're not all from New Jersey. And there's no Waffle Houses, like when you, when you go on holiday with your family down to Florida and eat at the Waffle House. And don't tell me you don't, because there's nothing but Canadian fucking plates in the parking lot. Okay? Don't even begin. Beneath the snowy mantle, cold and gray. Boom on. What is it like? The spring to turn to May. So, little snowbird, spread your tiny wings and fly away. And take the snow back with you where it came from on that day. Anne Murray, man. The plain yogurt of rock. Hi, I'm Anne Murray. It's not going to get too spicy or too sexy here tonight. I hope you're with me. You also have to come see us do the Who's Line show. We're going to be in Ontario uh, in September for a week. I'm leaving it out here because I don't have the dates on me. But if you go to gregproofs.com and look up the Who's Live show, uh, I'll be on the road with Ryan Stiles, uh, Jeff Davis, and Joel Murray, and Bob Durkatch. And uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be playing all over. We won't be playing T.O., but I think we're doing Hamilton, Niagara, Kingston, and somewhere else that I can't remember. Where is it? Oh, Kitchener, Kitchener, yeah. Uh, and uh, Ryan often does Gordon Lightfoot in the show, which is hysterically funny. <laughs> Ryan does the funniest fucking Gordon Lightfoot I've ever heard. He goes, He doesn't do any of the words. He just goes, it's really fucking funny uh, Maui Comedy Festival that's the 29th that's Halloween week uh, and if you're going to Hawaii uh, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair well it's inevitable that you'll be given some flowers to wear in your hair when you get there uh, in any case it's, uh, I think it's Reggie Watts and Aisha Tyler um, uh, Tig Notaro uh, Mark Marin. it's a pretty wild they fucking scammed us so hard, man. They got every fucking comic to come from California, basically, uh, to go to Hawaii. Uh, uh, because, you know, for, what, 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 what do they say for a, a bowl of whey? Um, uh, we're going because we get to go to Hawaii. 
It's not a hard gig to sell, really. I turn to my wife, I'm like, you want to go to Hawaii? She's like, yeah. I'll go to Hawaii. Uh, then we'll be in Sacramento at the Punchline. Will we really? Fuck. I gotta, I gotta work on my bookings. We'll be in Sacramento. No, I'm kidding, Sacramento. Don't freak out if you're listening in Sacramento. You're the king of the cities of the Central Valley of California. Uh, it is, in fact, the capital of our state, uh, where Jerry Brown can be found in all of his uh, post-Jesuit glory. Uh, he's going to win again, by the way. He's 70-something, and he's going to win governorship again of California. And then hopefully we're going to get a high-speed train before this is fucking over. And legal marijuana. I mean, we already have medical marijuana, but we need to go legal. We need to go legal like uh, Colorado and Washington, because it is a money-fucking spinner, baby. It is a money. And what are they going to do? Put up a fence between us and Arizona and shit? You know what I mean? Like... Because I, I was in Colorado, and they've gone legal, and they're next to Kansas. And Kansas is like, what year is this, 2014? Kansas is like uh, 1402. You know what I mean? Like, their mindset's a little different. They're like, marijuana, that makes people free, and they want to dance. And uh, I was like, well, how are you going to keep people from Colorado from driving over the fucking border with their weed in their car? Like, you can't stop every vehicle that goes into Kansas. Although probably there's a checkpoint or something. I, I don't know. I've never been to Kansas, uh, and I don't like the music. Uh, masquerading as a man with a reason My charade is the event of the season If I claim to be a wise man It surely means that I don't knew Carry on dead baby giraffe There'll be peace when you are done Uh, yeah Kansas. I, I would have liked Kansas, for, save for these reasons. Uh, one, Dust in the Wind was sang by every Christian group that ever lived. And that one didn't ring my bell. Uh, Sacramento at the Punchline, that'll be fun. Sacramento's fun. Uh, my friend Aguil lives there. If you ever want to read his online, uh, he does a marijuana advocacy uh, um, uh, column online for the Sacramento Alternative Paper. His name is Ngaio Bilam. I'll leave it for you to spell. Yes, his parents are Black Panthers. N-G-A-I-O. That's how you spell it. Uh, or as we used to say in San Francisco in the 90s, as concocted by Tony Kameen, not in guile, not in guile. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we'll be at the Bell House in Brooklyn to see our uh, friends in New York City. We'll be back there on the 29th, right after Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, uh, uh, of, of November. On the 10th of December, we'll be in Chicago at the Up Comedy Theater. I'll be doing stand-up in Bloomington Center for the Performing Arts in Bloomington, Illinois, on the 13th. Uh, go on the website, and you can find all that shot. And you can also buy my uh, comedy special. And yes, you can buy it. Woo! You can buy it here in Canada uh, as well. It'll download right onto your phone or right onto your computer. It's called Live at Moose and Franks. We shot it last summer uh, in Los Angeles at Moose and Franks. It costs $4.99. Thank you for applauding. I try not to ask for money, and I don't do Kickstarter, and I don't have you push a button for Amazon, and I don't do any of that shit on my website. The only ways I ask for money is, is, to, is to buy the special if you want it. So if you want to help me do that, thank you very much for listening to that part. And also, uh, um, you know... <laughs> There's ads on the show, and uh, you know, do what you can. Okay, we're gonna start the show. Oh fuck, it's almost time to finish. All right, listen. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I was in Edinburgh uh, with uh, uh, 
doing the, the the giant French festival up there, and we did a show called "What's the title? What does the title matter anyway?" And the first week was me, Colin Mockery, Josie Lawrence, and Stephen Frost, right, uh, with Philip Pope, who was, was our uh, piano player. He Philip Pope wrote the theme to the English version of "Whose Line Is It Anyway?" Uh, don't even ask. I don't know how it all got put together, but that's how it did. The English theme went "Weed it, beat it, weed it, weed it, weed it, weed put it away, boop, 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 beat it, boop." So I spent a week with Colin in this room, and we were playing the mad crowds. It was really fun, and uh, we were sweating like a workout every night on stage. It was a, we had two we had towels and bottles of water. It looked like we were having heart failure. It was pretty fun, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, we may go on the road with it for our English chums. We'll see what happens. It was very successful in Edinburgh, and we had a lot of love, and I really appreciate that everybody remembered uh, the English cast of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Because it was some 25 years ago that we started doing the show, and when you do something when you're uh, 25 years ago, you don't really think 25 years down the line you're still going to be doing it at any point. I don't know about in your life, although you might be a craftsperson or an, you know, maybe you're a, a blacksmith or maybe you make scrimshaw, in which case the minute you picked up that first piece of ivory and started working it into the shape of a ship, you're like, I found what I'm going to do. And then you puffed thoughtfully on a pipe that you'd made. But I don't think a lot of people have that continuity, so I'm very grateful for that. And, uh, and Clive Anderson was there as well, if you can believe that. Uh, Clive Anderson was there for the whole two weeks, and uh, I renewed my hatred for him. <laughs> It had abated as the years had wandered on. And then in the fullness of time, having to spend two weeks in a dressing room sweating next to him and sweating on stage next to him, I thought, yeah, no, I was right. I was right. You're a supercilious nit. He's he's very funny. Clive and I had a very good time. Uh, I'm joking, of course. We're keeping it in character. So there's all these mad cab drivers. The, the, my favorite maddest cab drivers quite passed away. Uh, Bob, the cab driver, he had a white uh, taxi. You know how those black cabs are in London? Well, they had a white one, and it had fairy lights in the back. And I've told the story on the show before, but I'm going to tell it ever so briefly again. Uh, years ago, I was with a, another comedian who's passed away named Malcolm Hardy, who was a legendary British comedian because he had an enormous wand. And he would <laughs> take it out on stage, and he could hold a beer glass with it. And, oh, Yeah. Art, Greg, was it prehensile? In essence. I mean, it had, the glass had to have a handle. He couldn't hold a pint glass. It wasn't like a python or whatever. You know, he had to, he, you know, he had to put it through. And uh, we used to take Bob, the cab driver, all the time. And he played Glaswegian, like, pipe music and shit, like, in the cab. And he had little dolls of, of pipers and whatnot. And he was quite mad. And the, and the back seat was covered with a, a tartan blanket. And he had fairy lights everywhere, like Christmas lights and shit. So you'd get in the cab and you'd go, Bob, we want to go down uh, George Street, DDD, assembly room, DD. And he'd go, huh? it. You couldn't understand a fucking word he said. He never looked at the road. And you have to remember I'm on the British side of driving here, right? He would just look at you from the driver. <laughs> and the loudest pipe music in the world playing just the loud like for fucking it was so good well Bob's passed so he gets in a cab my wife and I gets in a cab uh, uh, in Edinburgh and, uh, and which they hate that you say that but as I always point out to them it's not Pittsburgh is it <laughs> 
and as uh, we was driving along, and the cab driver goes, fucking 10 years, Greg. I said, what? He goes, it's been 10 years since you got in my fucking cab. And I'm like, oh, is it? And I go, well, yeah, man, what's going on? And he's like, oh, they fucking lost somebody in the cab. And I'm doing, I'm doing a very terrible uh, in Edinburgh accent, but he had a real heavy one. The one thing Edinburgh people say that's like Brooklyn is use, right? It's very New Jersey. They go, uh, I go, and my show's over. He's like, well, that use done then. <laughs> use done. Uh, he goes, uh, uh, we go, and he's like, oh, no, no, last time we were talking, he picks up the conversation where we left off 10 years ago. <laughs> You live in San Francisco, and I was going to spend some time in San Francisco. I thought, Grant, what, did you, uh, what happened there? He goes, well, it was the first time I was working in London. I was selling ice cream, and I, had a, I was an illegal ice cream salesman. And so I was selling it uh, in the park, right? And every day the cops would come. He's not all they had to fucking do is coming down and fucking bust us for selling fucking ice cream. Well, I sold an ice cream to Dustin fucking Hoffman, right? He goes, well, what were you doing in San Francisco? I was in a bar, right? And I hit on the scuttle, and her boyfriend got mad, and I fucking got in a fight with him, and broke his fight, and they threw me in jail. He goes, I'm spending the whole night in jail. It was all fucking drag queens in the jail. It was the best night I've ever had in my fucking life. <laughs> They're throwing fucking shoes at each other, right? Four o'clock in the morning comes and the jailer comes and he goes, you're going home, mate. And he goes, I don't want to go home. I'd like to stay here till the night. I was waiting for breakfast, right? I'm like, he wanted, to, he argued his case to stay in jail uh, with the drag queens all night long. So the madness continues there. He, I did remember him and I did recognize him, except now he had a silver ponytail. Thank you. I got that, Daryl. Uh, here's a letter from Louise. Louise wrote me at uh, fanmo4greg at gmail.com. Louise wrote, Dear Greg, I'm, cur- <coughs> I'm currently listening to the Zeppelins episode and my stomach hurts with laughter. Well, thank you. If there's one thing I want, it's for everyone who listens to be in pain. <laughs> And as Tom Lair said, if I can make a loved one strike another loved one, it's all been worthwhile. (laughs) Since you sounded curious, albeit temporarily, where's this going, Greg? I was talking about Edinburgh. And when we were in Edinburgh, and I mentioned it on the last episode, we were sharing a dressing room with a bunch of Australian acrobats, right? Who had the dirtiest feet that I've ever seen of any group in my life. But, of course, they're acrobats, so they would. And more than that, they would walk to the loo without shoes on and come back to a Scottish loo. You saw the movie Train Spotting. You remember the sentence, this was the worst toilet in Scotland. Well, it wasn't the worst toilet, but it wasn't that hot. Let me put it that way. It was at McEwen Hall, uh, a TV out row. And uh, they would walk uh, barefoot in and come back out. We'd come in and they'd all be massaging each other, right? So it was totally like walking into a soft core. You know, you come into the dressing room and there'd be all these Australians just fucking in there and deeper, deeper. Out of shoulder, out of shoulder. You know, like you're like, okay. And, uh, and the girls were in their half-dressed underwear and shit. I'd come down every night and Steve Frost would just be sitting there with a beer. <laughs> How come you didn't meet us in the... Oh, never mind. He wanted to watch the Australian girls in their underwear massage the guys. And so every night they'd say chukas to us. Uh, since you sounded curious, albeit temporarily, brackets, about the history of the good luck expression chukas from Australia, whether or not this is true, I cannot say for sure, but ellipse. Uh, a two-dot ellipse, which is a very elusive ellipse. <laughs> Normally an ellipse is three dots, but this one is a, a succinct ellipse. So I'll give it the proper pause. Whether or not this is true, I cannot say for sure, but... I was once told that in the early days of Australian theater, I was once told, by whom one wonders, Louise? 
Louise! It's time for bed. Put away the blanket for it. Stop listening to Glenn Gould. By the way, Louise, have I ever mentioned to you that in the early days of Australian theater... Yes, you did, Gran. Well, what do you call your grandparents here? Papa. Yeah, Papa and all that shit. Yeah, you people call your mother's mom and shit. You know? Like they're the queen and whatnot. There's no moms in Canada. That's how, you, that's how you know a Canadian actor is giving an interview. Well, there's so many Canadian actors on American TV, and they, they get on telly, and they're on the red carpet, and they're at the award shows and shit, and they'll be talking to them, and it's not the oot and a boot and all that crap that everyone says. It's they'll go, oh, I was with my mum. And you're like, mm. Someone is from Medicine Hat. You're in Hollywood now, and you're all sexy, but you root for a hockey team, don't you? Uh, I was once told I was once told that in the early days of Australian theater someone would look out to see how many people were in the audience and if it was a big crowd they would say something along the lines of quote we'll be eating chicken tonight exclamation point evidently if there was a lot of people in the audience you could buy a chicken if you're here in the audience tonight Right outside on Bloor. There's so many opportunities to buy chicken. There's the roaster across the street, and then there's roti just down the street. There's loads of chicken opportunities. Or as we would say in Montreal, chicane. Apparently, that's the history of this expression. However, I could be completely full of shit. Not the most definitive explanation of a derivation of a phrase that I've ever heard in my life. I think, Louise, if I may give some notes, the exclamation point I'm, I'm happy with because that was an actual exclamation. We'll be eating chicken and I. The, the early days of Australian theater. Tonight, Hamlet. I would have rogue and peasants fly them away. What is Hecuba to he? Or he to Hecuba? <laughs> Remember, my son, neither a borrower nor a lender be. <laughs> what are the early days of Australian? Uh, I would be a little more forceful in my explanation. I would, st instead of backing off and saying you might be full of shit, I would say, well, that's how I heard it. Uh, what was it? Once, when you were once told. Like Rudyard Kipling. Twice told. Apparently that's the history. I could be completely full of shit and lots of other people would have other explanations. I shouldn't think so. Yours is the only one I've received in this regard. Because every night one of the uh, acrobats would say as she left, Chicas, right? And then she told us the first night. That means good luck, right? Like uh, dancers in America go uh, merit to each other, right? Merit. Uh, actors say break a leg to one another. 
I, no one knows the derivation of any of these. I heard that the fucking derivation of break a leg was because John Wilkes Booth jumped onto the fucking stage after he shot Lincoln and he broke his leg and shit. It's like, that's the stupidest fucking explanation I've ever heard. First of all, it was the worst night in the history of American theater. I don't think you can really call it a triumph. No, but the play went really well. I mean, up till that point, they were killing. You know what I'm saying? Like, then Lincoln got shot and no one wanted to watch the second act. But the point is this, like... I really wouldn't bring that up, you know. Uh, although, what did Booth yell? Six Semper Tyrannus, right? So goes it with tyrants. Uh, apparently, that's the, a lot of people that... And, well, I don't know if a lot of people have explanations. You're the only one who wrote me in this regard. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyways, period. I love that. Anyways. Any scooch. Thanks for all the laughter. You're welcome. And thanks for making your ads bearable. That's really nice. It's compliments here. I'm not going to read them all. Uh, I hope to have the opportunity to come and see one of your live gigs. In the meantime, to quote the funk band Parliament, and I'm always ready for this. Uh, tear the roof off the sucker. Tear the roof off the sucker. Or was that Funkadelic? No, that was Parliament. Funkadelic, I believe, was the band who said... Uh, many things, but also <laughs> one nation under a groove getting down just for the funk of it. And flashlight, neon light. Do you, will you, hey, D Desmond? Daryl? <laughs> Don't play the song that I wanted you to play, but it, will you look up Parliament on the iPod? Are you still there? Derek? In your time Is there a parliament? There might be a parliament and a Funkadelic and a George Clinton There might be three It's under artists I, You know, I, I usually I, I've been uh, cannier lately And I've put all of the songs I want played On one little playlist And that way it makes it easier But I didn't know tonight And then I read this And then all of a sudden Extemporaneousness beheld me And uh, the, uh, uh, you know, improvisation Was the order of the day <laughs> And the next thing you know, it's just going any all over the fucking wherever. And uh, you know what Cito Gaston would have done? He'd have fucking pinch hit. He'd have run uh, 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 borders up there. Yeah, fuck yeah, he would have. Yeah, hell yeah, he would. He'd have, Gruber, grab some pine. That's what, that's what Cito would have. Like, Gruber, grab some pine. That's how Cito Gaston. We find Parliament? Yes. What's this one? The first one on their album of the best of Parliament? <laughs> Endangered Species. Which one did you want? Sorry. I don't know. What do you got? Well, this is Endangered Species. You can crank this one up a little. Oh, I just skipped Chocolate City. The Chocolate City. Bopgan. <laughs> Chocolate City's Washington, D.C. Just what happened to talking? I don't mean rapping, I mean fucking just chatting on records. What's up, D.C.? Uh huh? Is the song gonna start at any It started. It started. Um, while you're playing that one, will you look up Bootsy Collins? 
And will you play Body Slam? Yeah. Uh, Parliament Funkadelic, as I've discussed on the show before, but ever so briefly, George Clinton, who I met and is beyond the funk, um, did not read music and cannot sing uh, and wrote all of these songs. Which brings me to the point that I always make on the show. If you feel that you must do something in your life and you want to be a painter or make sand candles or fucking write a jam or whatever, you can do it. George Clinton didn't write music. He wrote all of fucking Funkadelic Parliament songs and shit. And they're funky most. And they're sampled all the goddamn time. Uh, I really think uh, it's not necessary to be good at the field that you want to be in. I think I've proven that time and time again as a comedian. Like, for instance, no one would say Bob Dylan is a real fucking smooth voice that's awesome. And yet he's recorded thousands of songs. Uh, do we find Bootsy? I can't even spell Bootsy. B-O-O... Well, if you're going to... It's Bootsy! B-O-O-T. No, it goes from Bobby to Bongo. Cock! <laughs> I hate that fucking iPod. All right, fuck that shit. Go back to the other jam we had queued up, but don't play it yet. Uh, now we're going to start. I went... I was, I was looking for dinner tonight, right? And I'm staying down on... Uh, where the fuck it is? Yongi. Yongi. And... Uh, I goes around the corner, right? And it's an odd hour, I'll be honest. It was like four. Which is not exactly dinner in, in Canada. Because a lot of places in Canada have that thing like, we open at 5.30, that's when people are supposed to eat. And... Uh, not realizing, of course, that some of us live a louche lifestyle where we just get up at any old time. And um, so I goes out. And also I was late because of the Air Canada slight delay. And uh, I, I was in a mall. I think it was Eaton Square. I don't know which one it was. But uh, there was a post office. And then there was a, a place that said Spring Roll. And then uh, I went. There was a Red Lobster. And I, I've never been to a Red Lobster. But I thought, you know what? Fuck it. They had a tank of lobsters when I walked in. And I was like... You know what? I'll eat a fucking lobster. <laughs> Even one that's claws are bound by rubber bands. Because then I know it, it's been subdued somewhat. <laughs> so I walks in, and there's no one in this fucking place. I mean, there's, it's 4.05. There's, like, you know, scant crowd, a couple people sitting on a bench. And I walk up, and the girl behind the counter goes, How many? <laughs> and I'm like... Uh... Just me, just me, for dinner. And she goes, it'll be about 15 minutes. <laughs> Is that that slight delay thing kicking in again? Or was she simply being thorough? It really wouldn't be 15 minutes, but she wanted to, in the eventuality that it was 15 minutes, she wanted to hit me to that at the outset. Or was it simply that Canada is incapable of serving people at 4.05 in the fucking afternoon at a Red Lobster? How about, here's your seat. The entire fucking restaurant is empty! Exclamation point. The entire restaurant's empty! Sit down! You'll have your food in a second! Instead, well, it'll be about 15 minutes. And I went, Kiki! I actually made that noise. And I just fucked off. So I found a Japanese place, which had gnats. I, I don't know why there were gnats inside, but there were, or fruit flies or something, I have no idea. Uh, it was okay. The Japanese place was okay. I said, uh, she goes, what do you want to drink? I says, iced tea, which is the king of drinks. Well, in Canada, iced tea is a tricky situation. In L.A., first of all, you have to know two things. If you order toast, it does not come with butter on it. 
because butter is evil. Because if you gain weight, you'll get fat and no one will fuck you and you can't win an Emmy. <laughs> and you can't be on the show Girls. So, uh, and secondly, if you order iced tea, it does not come with sweetener. They do not have sweet iced tea. It's not Alabama, okay? It's not Texas, it's not Arizona. In Canada, it's always sweet or unsweetened. So she goes, Nesty okay? And I'm like, it's always fucking Nesty. If you stay in, a, a, in the Delta chain of hotels here and you order an iced tea, you're getting a can of sweetened Nesty. And so many restaurants take the fucking easy way out here and just give you a can of sweetened Nesty. Sweetened Nesty is like Coca-Cola's fucking afterbirth, okay? I don't mean to be a dick about this, but it sucks, all right? It's too sweet. The fake lemon flavor's revolting. How hard is it to make a pot of tea? I mean, again, I've come from Scotland where I would walk into places and go, you don't have iced tea, do you? And they'll go, no, we don't have that. And you're like, you have ice and you have tea, right? Aye. <laughs> have you ever thought about the two of them coming together in a glass? You take the tea, you pour it in a glass full of ice, boom! Pow! It's iced tea right then and there. I don't know what the fucking canned iced nest tea thing is. Anyway, I had it. Uh, and I fucked off from the Red Lobster. Oh, oh I answered that part, yeah. Oh, we already had that. Rob, cause I, Rob Ford, when he uh, got up in front of the um, uh, city council, was in tears. And this is the question I meant to ask earlier. How come gangsters always cry? Why are gangsters the most sentimental people on earth? When a hitman fucking shoots a, a, you know, a baby in the head, and then it's laying there in the street, do they go... That reminds me of my mom and shit. Like, why, why is it always the most savage assholes that are fucking sentimental as fuck? You know what I mean? Uh, Joan Rivers is quite ill. And I'm not going to give her a eulogy yet because I don't think she's going to pass. Uh, however, I've had occasion to work with Ms. Rivers, and she's one of my uh, all-time favorite comedians of all time. I cannot bear the thought of Joan Rivers uh, uh, shifting off uh, on the same month that Robin Williams does. It's too much for me emotionally, and it's too much for all of us comedically, because Joan Rivers is a real treasure and a very, very funny woman uh, and a very funny comedian. Um, she's rare, rare most. My wife sent me these jokes by Joan Rivers. Uh, I've never done Jay Leno, but I'm sort of glad about that. He wouldn't know what to do with someone funny. <laughs> That one I loved. I've told this story. I think I've told it before. I remember years ago when the Iraq war started, I had uh, about 10 minutes on Iraq that were, of course, devastating and hilarious and unbelievably incisive and satirical. I did them in Montreal. It did real well. I was doing the set all over the country. I had done it in New York, this and this. I went in for a meeting at The Tonight Show. I think that was the one moment in my career, and this is 10 years ago, that they were considering putting me on The Tonight Show. I went into the meeting, and I said, uh, I've got these Iraq jokes and da-da-da-da. And the two guys in the meeting went, I mean, no, no one wants to hear about Iraq! <laughs> Schwarzenegger, that's what people like Schwarzenegger, because Jay had been doing a lot of Schwarzenegger jokes that week, and I said and this is why my career is so huge <laughs> although I can tell the story now because no one involved in the, first of all, there is no Tonight Show now it's, it's in New York and it's a whole different bag and they're not working on it anymore, I said to them I beg to differ with you gentlemen, but I play comedy clubs every night and this material's killing and they went and I went and we all sat like that for a minute at the meeting and I thought, you know what? I just fucked my chances to get on The Tonight Show by disagreeing with them over what humans like. You see, them sitting in their office in Burbank gave them its insane insight into what actual comedy fans were enjoying at the time. Whereas me performing in front of comedian, uh, comedy crowds every single night of the year bore no resemblance to their vast and unbelievably comprehensive experience 
of what humans like to laugh at, which was evidently Schwarzenegger jokes at the time. Yeah. Uh, I said, and this is a Joan Rivers joke. I said Justin Bieber looked like a little lesbian. And I stand by it. He's the daughter Cher wishes she'd had. That's a fucking good joke. Really good. Uh, we wish Joan Rivers all the best, and I want her to recover as soon as possible because uh, I love her more than life itself. Uh, this is from uh, the Canada Post. Uh, Mark McKinney of uh, your fabulous group, the Kids in the Hall, tweeted us today, and I went to his Twitter and I looked up. Have I been shouting the whole show? My ears just popped, and now I can hear myself. God, that Kansas song must have been fucking loud. You're lucky I don't sing some April wine and shit on you all your ass. Yeah, really. Uh, Canada Post released its Great Canadian Comedian Series on Friday. The collection features powerhouse laugh masters. This is from the CBC site, so. No comedian wrote this. No one has ever called themselves a powerhouse laugh master. I am a gloom chaser. Man, those were some powerhouse laugh masters. You ever listen to music and go, fuck, that was some powerhouse fucking jam skippers, man. <laughs> you guys pay for this, right? This is a government-run thing. Taxes. You may want to write them about their powerhouse laugh master <laughs> sentence. Jim Carrey, Mark Myers, Catherine O'Hara, who all have roots in the Toronto area, Quebec legend Oliver Guimond, and Hamilton's Martin Short. It's super exciting. Part of our mandate at Canada Post is to honor Canadian heroes, said Jim Phillips, Canada Post's director of stamp services. (laughs) What was it? The Blue Jays level of excellence. I'm in charge of the director of stamp services for Canada Post. What better heroes do we have than our comedians? Uh, quite, quite right. It's, uh, because we discussed this on the show several episodes ago. Uh, I was talking about the movie Zulu, where Nigel Green, who's in the movie The Up Chris File, in the movie Zulu says, we don't want any comedians. And people always say we don't need any comedians as a way of saying stop being funny to everyone. But I always uh, I, I, I argue strenuously uh, against that and say that we always do need comedians at all times to tell us that shit's funny. Uh, uh, and so I agree with the sentence. What better heroes do we have than our comedians? Well, there's uh, Alanis Morissette and Leonard Cohen. There's, a, there's obviously lots of uh, Margaret Atwood. There's loads of valid William Shatner, for fuck's sake. There's loads of... Loads of awesome Canadians. Uh, uh, Celine Dion, whatever. Her, her heart, as my understanding, uh, is will, will, will go on. <laughs> and then this is the part that it makes it so Canadian. Because uh, Canada, of course, full of pride. You get a maple leaf. There's a beaver. There's a moose with a fucking jug of maple syrup in its you know, mouth and whatnot. Uh, there's, a, there's a hockey team fucking icing someone and shit. There's all that great Canada. There's a railway that used to you know, go all the way across the country. There's all those things. <laughs> And then there's the inferiority. Especially our comedians who have made their way south of the border. So I guess Rick Mercer's not getting a stamp anytime soon. 
And I'm not shitting on Rick Mercer. He's very funny. I'm just saying he hasn't made his way south of the border yet. And by the way, where I come from, south of the border is Mexico, which is the Canada of the tropics. South of the border, down Mexico way. I met a lovely... Philip said Canada Post Research Department gathered a list of comedians who could be featured. We had to make some tough decisions. Get in here! What is it, Mr. Phillips? You're the head of stamp services. God damn it, Gordon, we've got some tough decisions to make. You better get Maggie. This is going to be wild. All right, here's the short list. Harlan Williams. Norm MacDonald. What? I don't know, boss. They're pretty good, but what about Oliver Guimond? Olivier, sorry, I pronounced his name wrong three times already. Twice. Olivier Guimond. We don't know him south of the border where I live. Who is Olivier? He's a Quebec legend, evidently. Uh, They had to make some tough decisions to narrow it down to five. Many of the comedians... Just put that anywhere. (laughs) Many of the comedians who didn't make the cut this time may appear in future series, said Phillips. He mentioned Hamilton's Eugene Levy and the Ottawa-born Ghostbusters star Dan Aykroyd. So... Eugene Levy and Dan Aykroyd got bumped by Olivier Guimond? Eugene Levy is the funniest goddamn... Does anyone remember Puchare on the fucking SCTV? Puchare. Dog food. Dog food. Puchare. Fucking A. Hey, this is Mel's Rock Pile. How many people here like punk rock? Boo! I think we got a group on today called the Queen Haters. Jesus Christ, Gene Loving. And Dan Aykroyd, what can you say? He's the funniest. Uh, the collection, which includes five booklets containing a total of 50 stamps, retails for forty-two fifty. A single booklet costs eight fifty. Canada Post won't be reprinting the series once it's sold out, Phillips warned. <laughs> First of all, he said in the previous paragraph, now he's warning you. <laughs> this is after those tough decisions they made. Who's, who was popular in America for the last 45 years? Dan Aykroyd? Uh, no. Olivier Guimond. I'm sure he's popular in Quebec. Uh, it's not a joke, but they're going to go really fast. You were right. No one laughed. This is from a, site, uh, a guy named Nick Green, who was the deputy digital editor of mentalfloss.com. Today, Bur- Burger King finalized an $11.4 billion de- This was earlier in the week. Yeah. A billion-dollar deal to buy Tim Hortons, the largest fast food chain in Canada. $11.4 billion to buy Timmy's, man. Wow. According to the New York Times, neither company is altering their franchisee agreements, blah, 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 uh, meaning you won't be able to buy a Whopper. In other words, they're not going to start selling burgers at what he calls the one of the ubiquitous coffee and donut shops. 
Um, one of? Uh, I would say the ubiquitous. As I've said on the show before, you can be driving through the prairie and there's nothing but the bones of allosauruses sticking up all around you and the waft of potash in your nose. And all of a sudden, in the middle of fuck nowhere, you'll be like, is that a Timmy's? And there'll be the longest queue in the history of mankind. Fucking cars for like a half a mile or three kilometers. Sit down! Go on, go on. I would. Thanks, bro. Thanks, bro. Ice? Yeah. Loads of ice. No lime. Lemon. 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 (laughs) Damien! This is the the history of Timmy's, which uh, I I found quite interesting. In 1962, Jim Charade, or Charade, if you will, an independent businessman who was having trouble with his own fledgling donut shops. You know, if there's anything harder to get off the ground than a donut shop, it's a fledgling donut shop. Because their wings are wet and they haven't been taught to fly yet. I believe I've mentioned this on the show before. My mother used to live in Brandon, Mississippi. And there was a, a donut store in Brandon, Mississippi. And their slogan, because I used to have the keychain. They would give you a keychain, like a commemorative keychain. You know to, you know how the, you know you get calendars or a keychain or a pen or whatnot, or a bottle opener. It was a donut shop, and they gave you a keychain. And it said, whatever it was, Jim's Donuts, your one-stop donut shop. <laughs> and, of course, my thought was, are there other kinds of donut shops? <laughs> Usually, up until gyms opened, we had to make the rounds to get a fucking donut together. Well, we got the frosting, but we ain't got no dough over here. Y'all are gonna have to drive down to Pearl and see if they got dough and whatnot. Finally, Jim's put it all together in one place. Fucking dough, a deep fryer, frosting, the whole shooting match. You can get it. You don't gotta go nowhere else to get a donut. Y'all can get a donut. In fact, y'all can get a dozen donuts here. We'll throw in an extra one. It's called a baker's dozen. Fledgling donut shop. I love writing. There's no such thing as a fledgling donut shop. Those are some delicious fledgling Timbit flavors there you've got there. What is that, hawk vomit? No, it's Canada. It's Osprey vomit. Uh, met Tim Horton, a defenseman for the Leafs, who sold cars in the offseason to make some extra cash. Charade bought a Pontiac from him. Uh, Charade tried to convince Hortons to go into the food business, thinking that using a well-known athlete's name would be an ingenious marketing tool. The hockey player agreed, but insisted on selling hamburgers. I don't know if anyone knew that. I did not. Uh, according to the Globe and Mail, the two opened a string of burger joints that soon failed. <laughs> Charade talked Tim Horton to give donuts a shot, and in 64, the two opened the first Timmy's, as we know it, in Hamilton, Ottawa. <laughs> The person who wrote this is not Canadian. I am not Canadian either. Although when I was in Scotland, I had 20 different people ask me if I was Canadian. It's because I know Colin. I swear to God. Colin and Ryan are my mates. And so everyone goes, you're Canadian, right? And I just, yeah. I am. I'm from San Francisco. It's the southern part of It's where Olivier Guimond is fucking... 
Hamilton, Ottawa. Dude, how much research would it have taken to figure out where Hamilton was? Ottawa's the fucking capital, you ning-nong. Americans don't even know what the fucking capital of Canada is. They really fucking don't. And they don't know you have a parliament. If they did, they would have played that song that Desmond played earlier instead of the one I wanted by Bootsy, which evidently is not listed. It goes from Billy to Bongo or whatever. In uh, Hamilton, Ottawa. Hamilton, Ontario. God damn it. I spent my birthday in Hamilton last year, so I remember Hamilton. I know. As I described Hamilton, there was a guy running down the street in a wheelchair, and half of his head was a sandwich. <laughs> Hamilton is fa-reaky. Joel Murray was propositioned in the afternoon. Kingston is gorgeous. I mean, I had a good time in Hamilton. We got drunk. What can I tell you? But There you are. Uh, the closest Tim Hortons has come to selling burgers was when they test marketed a hamburger donut in Moncton. I, does anyone remember that? No. No, I, he, I think he's full of shit on that one. Maybe it's best they leave the burgers to the King Bubble and Nick Green. Well, Nick Green, uh, I liked your article, but one, uh, this whole, according to the Globe and Mail, they opened a string of burger joints that soon failed. To me, that means you did a cursory fucking Google of the Globe and Mail. And that you just pulled that fact. Secondly, the fact that you think Hamilton's in the city of Ottawa <laughs> it will come as quite a surprise uh, to Stephen Harper. <laughs> who, when he goes to work tomorrow morning, will be like, am I in Hamilton, Ottawa? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, uh, Newark Teaneck. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. While Ferguson mourns... Oh, here we go. All right, this, this is going to get a little boring and preachy. Oh, kittens. All right. Well, we might have time for questions. Um, missing women. Uh, this is from a Canadian website. While Ferguson mourns Michael Brown, Canada shrugs off Tina Fontaine's death. Um, the service started Monday at 10 a.m. in the Friendly Temple Missionary Baptist Church located on Martin Luther King Drive in the heart of St. Louis. Brown's uncle, you know who Michael Brown is and you know what's been going on in Ferguson. I'm not going to presume your abject ignorance of that. We'll move on. Three weeks after his death, it seems unlikely the fury over the shooting of Michael Brown is in any way abating. Michael Brown, um, da-da-da-da-da, uh, a protest born of anger over the ever-expanding racial disparities in income in America, where a typical white household can expect to be 20 times more affluent than its black counterpart. All of the, by the way, this isn't uh, only endemic to America. My guess, and I'm just going out on a fucking limb here, is that the black families of Canada are in no way in a better shape, although Canada is a slightly less racist and always was. Thank you, my darling. I really You're welcome, sir. Thank you. Is that two? No. The oh, one's for my your wife. Yeah. Oh, shit. There you are. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, brother. You're welcome. You're, thank you. Is someone making toast, by the way? <laughs> is anyone else getting a major toast thing? <laughs> Like, I fucking, all of a sudden, I'm like, I could really go for some toast. <laughs> I think the kitchen's burned a hamburger bun or something because I'm like, fucking, I could really murder some toast right now. <laughs> I mean, I don't want Vegemite or anything or Nutella, but uh, some butter, maybe, like a raspberry jam, whatnot. Or what's, what's a, what, what, you know, what's a Hamilton, Ottawa, you know, jam? Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Michael Brown, um, sure. There was the odd doubter, like Ferguson's Republican mayor, James Knowles, uh, who might claim that everything hunky-dory or that there is no racial divide. That's what the mayor of Ferguson, Missouri, said, uh, James Knowles, that there is no racial divide. Now, proving that the only dickhead mayors are not in Canada, uh, they exist all over the place. 
In the United States, it's generally understood Michael Brown's death as at the very least prompted a broad meditation on the state of race relations. I should say, that's, that understatement is the strongest part of Canada's game. <laughs> a broad meditation is a good way of putting it. We were about this close to having riots in the streets fucking everywhere over this because of, uh, one, uh, the fact that the cops are free to do what they want to the underclass at all times. And uh, that includes driving uh, armored vehicles down the street. That includes shooting and beating uh, the homeless. That includes shooting and beating the indigent uh, people of color of any kind or any underclass at all. Uh, secondly, uh, that white people have been very reluctant and hesitant. They've been busy with the goddamn bucket challenge on fucking video on the Internet for fucking the last month uh, to actually stand forward and say that there's a disparity in the United States and it's based on race. Uh, that a black person is way more likely to be apprehended. A, 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 a movie producer in Beverly Hills uh, was apprehended on Emmy night and made to sit for six hours and put in the joint and put on the sidewalk and handcuffed and everything. And he went to them, I'm, I have a degree, I'm a movie producer. And they're like, no, you look like a suspect someone phoned in. Uh, and that's how the police act. And that was in Beverly Hills, California, which is one of the whitest, richest communities in all of the United States. This goes on everywhere all the time, not just in the United States, but everywhere. But it's a horrible, horrible problem. The Civil War has never been over in the United States. And it, it's really the great rift um, uh, and horrible, horrible divisiveness that, that goes on uh, in my country. Uh, as Spike Lee recently stated, there's a war on the black male and it's tearing the country apart. Um, as I've discussed on the show, the idea of reproductive rights, of course, is a substantial one in both the United States and Canada, uh, particularly, of course, in Newfoundland now, where they're going to be uh, scrabbling uh, for women to find their own ways uh, to um, enjoy their own reproductive rights. But however, what I'm getting at is this. Um, there's a, 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 the, the United States is... is um, is not a, a post-racial nation. No one is post-racial. Simply because uh, Obama is president doesn't make it that everyone is colorblind, and particularly the powers that be are not colorblind. Um, and it's a very serious goddamn issue, which, as you can see, explodes into riots and things like that. The New York Times this week uh, said that Michael Brown was no angel. What does that have to do with him being shot repeatedly by the police? <laughs> Let me put it this way. If a white person stole something from a store, would they be shot in the head a couple times and shot seven times? They wouldn't. They wouldn't. It's that fucking simple. I'll make it real simple for you. Now, let's get to the Canadian part. Uh, and by the way, the person who wrote this is named... Uh, Cock. I don't have their name. All right, sorry. It's from a Canadian website called AAA. To a Canadian observer, it can seem at times as though we're worlds apart from our neighbors to the south. Again, we're to the south. Maybe it's our penchant for politeness or a more pluralist cultural makeup. Whatever the reason, it seems uh, that the chaos of Ferguson would be less likely in Canada. The sad events in St. Louis suburb gave the opportunity to ponder how we do things differently and realize how comparatively well things work here, Toronto-based criminal lawyer David Butt wrote in the Globe and Mail. Hold on a minute. We may be more docile, but if we think we're any further along the path to achieving a post-racial society than our American counterparts, we're fooling ourselves. Americans have long understood that complacency is as good as complicity. When a tragedy of this magnitude is exposed, the reaction is swift. How might a comparable scenario be dealt with in Canada? Ten days after Michael Brown's death and a thousand miles north of Ferguson, the body of Tina Fontaine was pulled from the Red River just outside of Winnipeg. 
Officers are investigating the slaying of a 15-year-old Aboriginal girl from rural Manitoba whose body was found wrapped in a bag and dumped in the Red River uh, after she ran away from her foster home. I was reading the Globe and Mail today, and I'm very, very sorry that I can't remember the name of the columnist because I meant to bring it with me, but I left it on the plane because I was tired. He indicated that this was not just uh, the authorities' fault, not just Canada's fault, and not just the way that Canada has dealt with Aboriginals and First Nations people since its inception as a country, but rather that the First Nations have to shoulder a bunch of the blame for this. It was kind of an icky little column. It was really an icky little column, but I got the idea of what he was talking about. No two deaths are the same. Tina Fontaine was 15, found in a plastic bag, possibly sexually abused, and killed prior to entering the water. There was no official time of death, no suspects, no witnesses, nor even a cause of death. The police divers who discovered her weren't even looking for her. Sergeant O'Donovan of the Winnipeg Police said, she's a child. This is a child that's been murdered. Society would be horrified if we found a litter of kittens or pups in a river in this condition. This is a child. Society should be horrified. <laughs> Two days after they had a memorial for her and, uh, and a thousand people gathered in Winnipeg, 1,200 indigenous women have been murdered or have gone missing since 82. It's an epidemic in Canada. You may remember several years ago um, at the pig farm outside of Vancouver, two maniacs had killed a bunch of prostitutes from the Vancouver area, many of whom were indigenous, many of whom were ethnic. There is no way that the Canadian authorities give a shit about anyone who's from the underclass uh, when their murders happen like this. And you, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. And I'm not overemphasizing the case in any way. Um, I'm using this article as an illustrative point because I think this man makes a very good point. There's hardly a week in which another indigenous woman isn't found to be missing or murdered. A report released by the RCMP in May, and I'll read that for our American friends, that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, revealed more than half of Manitoba's female murder victims between 1980 and 2012 were indigenous. Are you fucking joking me? When our prime minister dismisses the issue altogether and our national police service can't be bothered to keep track of the number, they haven't kept track of the number, it's time for a bit of national self-reflection. Oh, Canada, indeed. Land where indigenous women are statistics hardly worth accounting for. I wish that were hyper, uh, hyperbole, but the facts back it up. Indigenous women make up 4.3% of the Canadian population, they account for 16% of the female homicides and 11% of the missing women. Violence toward indigenous women in Canada has become normalized to such an extent it's no longer seen as a cause for uproar. Uh, Michelle Odette, president of the Native Women's Association of Canada, said, This is a national disgrace, a national tragedy, tragedy and a travesty of justice for Aboriginal women and is an issue that all Canadians have to take ownership of. It's time, like in the United States for white people to step the fuck up and understand that there's such a thing as white privilege. What is white privilege, Greg? White privilege is what I enjoy. It's what all white people enjoy. The idea that when we go through the airport security, we can bitch about it till the end of fucking time. Oh my God, they rubbed me below the equator. Oh my God, they asked for my ID seven times. Oh my God, they made me empty my pockets. This is what black people and people of color of every fucking sort have to go through all the time with the authorities, all the time. 
we as white people don't even realize that we're acting out white privilege all the time because we're fucking white people and we're already experiencing the awesomeness of being white at all times. Let me put it another way to put it even more perspective for you. When you watch a television show and there's an August figure who's an authority figure, how often are they a white man? Um, when you watch a movie and the person's God, other than Morgan Freeman, how often are they Anthony Hopkins? You know what I'm talking about. For women, women deal with this every second of every goddamn day, so they know exactly where I'm coming from on this. Not only is there white privilege, there's white male privilege. And so if you're a black woman or a woman of color or an aboriginal woman or any type of woman who's not at the top of the fucking food chain of money... And even if you are, you still have to defer to men all the goddamn time because men swing their dicks around all the time and just presume that whatever decisions they're making are right. Whereas women have to cautiously step through the minefield of male ego every goddamn second of their day. Imagine being at the bottom of the chain and being an aboriginal person in a foster home who is killed and raped and murdered and thrown into a fucking river. And then you become less than a statistic. I understand that there might be an investigation. I may be wrong. I was reading the Globe and Mail today. I couldn't actually figure out whether they're going to launch an investigation because I believe the Tina Fontaine case is your Michael Brown case of this instance and that it is time for Canada to step the fuck up and for you people as white people in this room to step the fuck up as well and make your voices heard. How do we do that Greg? Participate in the community. You can go online. You don't have to go outside if you don't want or put yourself in fucking danger and shit like that. I was complaining several weeks ago that <coughs> Barack Obama didn't go to Ferguson, Missouri. He should have physically appeared in, phys uh, in Ferguson, Missouri. It would have made a huge difference for him to simply show up there, have James Knowles on one side, have Mr. Nixon, the fucking governor of Missouri, on the other, and go, we're going to fucking get this together. Um, it would behoove Stephen Harper, and it would behoove uh, the premier of uh, Manitoba, whose name I do not know off the top of my head. Uh, uh, to, to appear in public and talk about the Tina Fontaine case. It's a disgrace. And not only that, society should be horrified. The killing of women is something that's insistent. The killing of women is persistent. The killing of women is something that happens all the time and no one fucking deals with it. Um, this is where male privilege comes in. We're allowed to fucking kill and rape and maim our girlfriends, our wives, uh, errant women on the street, particularly uh, indigent people and uh, people in foster homes, particularly prostitutes, particularly those who have no recourse to the authorities because the authorities are absolutely fucking deaf and tone deaf to what uh, 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 people of color and, and people in the, in the lower economic strata have to say. Uh, they do not have any rights. And so I don't want to hear anymore that we're all this big, great democracy that gets along and that the society is functioning well. Society is not functioning as well as long as the poor are murdered and women are murdered and no one does a fucking thing about it and there's no grand inquisition and there's no investigation. If Stephen Harper wanted to grow a fucking clitoris, he would right now fucking set the national police onto this and go, this is a scandal, it's not going to happen on my watch and I need to fucking do something about it and the RCMP needs to fucking pull their shit together. And that's all I have to say about that. And I'll thank you. you have been the smartest crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're very bonds. Thank you very much, you and I. I wish you nothing but love.